So it was my first time living in the country. I'd grown up in big city, suburban area, and now I'd moved to a rural community for the summer. It was a summer job in southern Ohio. I was going door-to-door selling uh, our books, Christian books, uh, to, the, to the community there. And um, to keep my expenses low, a wonderful Christian family opened up their home and allowed me to stay with them uh, for free. And this, this community that, that we were in, uh, it was mostly a farming community. Farming, at least, was a big part of, of what took place there. And just down the road from where we were staying, there was this big cornfield, huge, huge cornfield. Now, these farmers in this community in southern, southern Ohio, they really depended upon the weather. And for the most part, the weather was quite dependable. It was hot and humid. And often, uh, those of you who are familiar with the Midwest and and some of the other parts of the United States where it gets hot and humid, often in the, in the afternoon, in the summer, clouds would build and, and the humidity would get really high and it would just downpour for about an hour or so. And so these regular showers would keep the fields nice and um, moist and, and it was a, it's a perfect environment for these corn plants to just flourish and thrive and they just grew really well uh, in this, in this, uh, this weather. Um, but that summer, there were a couple of, couple of weeks, maybe, that had little to no rain. And I can't really remember noticing a lack of rain until one day, the lady of the home where we were staying, she pointed out to me something. She said, do you know how to tell if the corn plants are in need of rain, if, if, they, are, if they are, you know, drought-stressed? Uh, now, usually corn plants, there's a stalk, right? And the leaves come, kind of grow up off of, the, off of the stalk, and then they droop down, kind of like in the picture here, where it just kind of hangs down. Typically, uh, that's what the corn plant uh, looks like. But when corn plants are thirsty for water, their posture, it's kind of interesting to say it this way, but their posture actually changes. I didn't know this. You know, I grew up in the city. I didn't know, know how this works. Um, but she pointed out, no longer are the, are the leaves comfortably hanging downward when, when the corn plants are thirsty for water. And she pointed it out. She, she, she said, look, look at the, look at the leaves. And, and sure enough, the, the leaves of the corn plants were extended up like this. Perhaps you've seen this corn that is going through drought. Instead of just being, hanging down like this, the, the leaves were extending up, reaching upward toward the sky. And as this, uh, the lady of the house, is, as, as she pointed this out, this godly lady said something to the effect that when the corn is thirsty, they reach up. The plants reach up to the good Lord to give them rain. That's what she said. Yeah. Reflecting on her observation, I can't help but think we could all learn something from those thirsty corn plants. When our souls get thirsty, you know, you know what that's like? When you feel empty, when you feel lacking in some way, when you feel just ill at ease, when you're anxious, you're not at peace, when our souls get thirsty— Instead of looking to the good Lord to meet our needs, it's easy for us to look to things that we can control, things that, that we can turn to, that, that, that we look to to satisfy ourselves. The Bible calls these things idols. An idol is anything that we depend on to quench our thirsty souls. That's what an idol is. It's whatever you turn to, if it's, whatever you turn to when you're feeling out of sorts, when you're feeling empty inside. 
Some common idols today are food. I know that because that's one of, one of the things that I tend to turn to. Um, shopping, social media, games, work. There's all kinds of idols that we can turn to, easy things that we can turn to to kind of soothe this emptiness, to kind of maybe numb the feeling of anxiety that we might have, this feeling of ill at ease that often comes up that's a sign that our souls are thirsty. And although these things that I've mentioned here, food and and work and even social media, shopping, things like that, they're not wrong in and of themselves. The problem is, is that when we turn to these things, They do not have the power to give us life. They don't. They lack that capability. But thankfully, there's a God who sees our need. He knows. He knows that if we reach up to him, if we extend our our eyes of faith up to him, he is more than able, more than capable of giving life to our thirsty souls. Today we're wrapping up the sermon series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Ready for Rain, where we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the the role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus, this message of Jesus that gives our souls life, that satisfies us. This is what we're really looking for, whether we recognize it or not. This is the message of Jesus, and the Spirit of God gives that to us. And just as rain brings life to the dry parched, cracked soil, causing seeds to germinate and plants to grow. The Spirit of God, in the same way, gives us spiritual life to our dry, cracked, hard souls. Your spiritual life, I don't know. I don't know where it's at this morning. It may seem dry and cracked. It may seem dead and lifeless, dry like a desert. But God promises to send the rain of his spirit on us. This morning, we're going to take a look at a teaching from the Old Testament, teaching from the Bible, that shows how anyone, and I, and I don't say that casually, how anyone, regardless of our spiritual condition, any one of us can receive the Holy Spirit, and we can be filled with the life-giving power of God's love. So the title of the sermon this morning is Thirsty Ground. And before we get into it, I'd like to just pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you permission to speak to us. Not that you need that permission, but God, we give you permission to open our hearts to receive your word. I pray for your spirit to come now and speak life into our thirsty souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bible to the book of Hosea. If you'd like to use a pew Bible, it's page 902. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3 is where we're going to be at. Now the prophet Hosea, he was a prophet, and he served in the the kingdom of Israel, nation of Israel. He served at at a spiritual low point in the time of Israel. Israel had diverted their attention from God. They began supplementing their worship experience with God, they begin to supplement that with the worship of idols. One idol in particular was the idol of Baal, and it's significant that the, that the god Baal was looked to for rain. 
This was the fertility God. This was the God that made their plants grow. And so the people of Israel began to worship Baal as well as God. And to get they, they didn't realize, I don't think, what, what they were really doing. And so, so to get Israel's attention, God told the prophet Hosea to do something really extreme. He said to go down to the temple area where there were prostitutes, temple prostitutes. And he said, pick one out and marry a prostitute. Now, I can't imagine what that was like for Hosea to marry a prostitute. What was that like to be married to a prostitute? To wake up at night and to reach over for his spouse, his wife, and to not find her there and to know exactly what she was up to. I can't imagine what that was like for Hosea. But the person that's really, that was really suffering in this story is actually his wife. She's the one that's really suffering. She's the one that through infidelity to her faithful husband, Hosea, she is giving herself away, just giving away what she has to people that do not care for her. She's wasting her life on those who do not care for her. And the Bible tells us that she is a symbol of God's people. She symbolizes the people of Israel who had religion, but they didn't have an experience with God. They refused to wait upon God to supply their needs. They went out to try to get excitement, to try to get satisfaction, to try to get fulfillment somewhere else through idolatry. God's people were making horrible choices during the time of Hosea, but thankfully, we don't need to be good for God to be good to us. Listen to the message that God gives here in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. This is the message for people who are committing spiritual adultery, turning their back on the faithful God. This is the invitation. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press, close, press on to know the Lord. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Now, this word acknowledge, when it says, let us acknowledge the Lord, some translations say, let us know the Lord. Acknowledge or know the Lord. This comes from a Hebrew word. This is translated from a Hebrew word that describes more than just information. This describes an experience. It's actually an experience of intimacy. It's often used to describe the intimacy that, that happens between a man and a woman. This is the same word that the Bible uses in Genesis when Adam knew or acknowledged his wife and she bore a son. This is a powerful word that refers to an experience that results in life. Now, even though God has been devoted to Israel as a faithful husband, and Israel has been like an unfaithful wife, Hosea tells Israel to return to intimacy with God. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us lean in to an intimate experience with the one that we have been unfaithful to. It's an open invitation to God, to come to God. Here's a good reason to press on to know the Lord. Here, here it is. His love for us is unending. We cannot cancel out his love even by our own infidelity to him. He loves us so much that we can return to him, even when we've been unfaithful. 
But despite this knowledge, this awareness of the amazing love of God, that he would actually welcome back people who have prostituted themselves with other idols. In spite of this awareness, we can know about it. We can be informed of a God like this and still neglect to pray. We can know that God is good. We can know that he's loving and he is love and still neglect Bible study to hear this voice of love speaking to us through the Bible. We can know, we can be informed of who God is and still desire our own will rather than his will to be done. Pressing on to know the Lord is something that that doesn't often happen. It It doesn't really appeal to us, even though we know that he is good. Pressing on to know the Lord is hard. It requires focus. It requires effort. But we will press on to know the Lord when we really want to. If that's what we really want to do, we're going to do it. And God knows that for us to really want to press on to know him, we usually need to feel uncomfortable. Last year, my wife and I decided (laughs) that we needed to do a 40-day cleanse diet with raw food. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of sums up my feelings about it too. Um, For years I've known, for years I've known, I've had an awareness that a whole food plant-based diet is the healthiest thing, but following through on that just didn't happen. I just didn't find myself sitting down and saying, you know, enough of this refined food, enough of this junk food, I want a plate of veggies. Like, That just didn't really happen. I mean, maybe from time to time, but to make that my diet, it just didn't happen. I have a corrupted palate. And even though I know what is healthiest, I don't always make those choices. Perhaps I'm the only one in the room today that's in that situation. But but that's my, my situation. And so as a way to reset, my wife and I committed to this 40 day fast from cooked and processed foods to begin. It's it's all about beginning, right? Beginning it and following through. To begin, the nutritionist that was overseeing this program, um, this nutritionist had us spend two days eating nothing. Only tea is what what we took into our bodies. No more food, no more juice for two days. And then two days after that, We were able to drink some fruit juices or vegetable juices, and that was great. Um, So for four days, we hadn't eaten any food. And during those four days of not eating, something very amazing happened inside of me. Now, prior to the fast, I simply did not want to eat raw food three times a day. But after four days with no food, I was so uncomfortable that the idea of eating that just really appealed to me. I, I suddenly wanted it. <laughs> I wanted to eat that bowl of raw food. I wanted to eat the salad and the bean sprouts. It, it, I craved it. But it's very interesting. Those four days where we didn't eat anything, I often thought, man, it would be wonderful to have a burger right now. That would just be great. Or maybe a quesadilla. But had I done that, had I had a burger during that time of fasting, had I had a quesadilla, had I filled the emptiness of my stomach with with those kinds of foods, I can tell you that I never would have craved a bowl of raw food. 
I needed to have an empty stomach for a while. I needed to be uncomfortable for a while before I could receive really healthy food. Although we all need God, we're not going to feel our need of God. We're not going to want God to be first and foremost in everything in our life if we are turning to idols when we are feeling uncomfortable, when we're feeling empty. By the way, if you turn to idols when you're feeling empty or uncomfortable, I don't blame you. A thirsty soul doesn't feel good. But in order for us to want God, we need to fast from those things that would take his place in our life. We need to cut those things out and be in that uncomfortable, empty place. We need to feel that void, that vacancy, so that we can receive the fullness of his presence. It's uncomfortable. This is what it means to feel empty on the inside. Instead of turning to something to make us feel better, we turn to God and we reach up to him and we wait for him like thirsty ground waits for the rain. Naturally, if, I mean, if you're like me, I don't like to wait. I want things now. I want things yesterday. Waiting on God is difficult. It may mean, and it likely does mean, that we have to wait longer than we really want to wait. But God gives us the assurance that when we wait on him, we never, never wait in vain. Look at what the text says in Hosea 6.3. It says, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. There might be times of darkness in our life. Darkness that lasts longer than we, can, we even think we can stand. Long times of darkness, but the sun will appear. He will appear. In all of human history, the sun has never failed to rise in the morning in the same way. We may have to wait, but God will appear. And this is how he shows up at the end of verse 3. It says, He will come to us like the winter rains like the spring rains that water the earth. Now, in Palestine, people's lives depended on the rain. During the summer months in Palestine, the, the ground would get like this. Plants would wither, and it would get hot and dry like a desert. But when the rains came, all of that changed. This dry, dead, parched ground would suddenly burst forth with life. Plants would grow. The winter rains brought this about, and so eagerly the farmers would wait for these winter or early rains. These are the beginning of the planting season in the wintertime. That's the way it worked in Palestine. These were called early rains. These early rains would come, and they would moisten the soil and cause the fields to germinate. And as the rains began, continued to, to fall through the winter months, the plants in the field flourished by the springtime. The plants were mature, and they were at a place where they could produce a, a harvest. They could produce crops. But that would never take place. These grain plants would never take place unless the spring or latter rains would fall. So the winter rains would cause something like this to happen. They would germinate, and they would start to push up through the ground. But in order for this to take place, in order for those grains to form, um, in order for the, for the grass to form grain, 
They needed to have the the spring rain or the latter rain, these heavy rains that would come down and would give these plants what they needed to produce the crops, to produce a rich harvest. And so farmers during the springtime, they would pray for the latter rain because they knew these heavy rains would ensure a rich harvest. Now this imagery of of winter rains and spring rains or early rain and latter rain, this describes the experience of the Christian church. After the death of Jesus on the cross, it appeared that the church was dead. The followers of Jesus, they went into hiding. They were confused. They were fearful. They, they were just, it didn't seem like the church was going to go anywhere. But instead of sending them out to work to make something happen, Jesus told them to do something very significant. He said, go back into Jerusalem and wait on the promise of the Father. And they went back and they prayed together. And while they prayed together, Acts chapter 2 tells us that the Spirit of God was poured out. That is the early rain. And when the Spirit of God was poured out, they were unstoppable. They experienced the, the character of Christ. They shared with one another. They were giving. They were serving. They were, they were teaching other people about the goodness of Jesus. And they were, they were just, they were bright with the love of God in their lives. That's what happened when the early rain poured out. The church began to grow. It's, it looked like that. They began to grow. But just like a field of wheat, the purpose of growth is not just growth in and of itself. It's not just greenery. The purpose of a field of wheat is to have a harvest. It's the wheat harvest. That's why a farmer plants a field of wheat. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, this is what Jesus says about the harvest. He says that the harvest is the end of the age. My family, my brothers and sisters, we are living at the end of the age. We're living at the end of time. We're living at the time where the spring rain, where, where as if we were farmers, we'd be praying for the spring rain. We're not, not, maybe not every one of us is farmers, but we're all Christians. We're all followers of Jesus. And he tells us that there is going to be a spring rain that is going to come. And this spring rain is what we need in order to have, the, in order to produce the character of Christ needed for the harvest. Some people think that being ready for Jesus' return is about really working hard to be good. I need to get rid of some of these bad habits, so I'm going to work really hard on that. That is not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's paganism. Where we look to ourselves to figure it out, to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, we are no more capable of producing good in and of ourselves than dry, cracked ground is capable of producing a rich harvest in and of itself. We cannot do it. All we can do is reach up to the one who sends the rain. And when the rain comes, there is life. Without God's Spirit, there is no harvest. Thankfully, God has promised to rain on us his spirit. Just as the sun rises, he says in in, in Hosea 6, verse 3, he is going to send the early rain, and he is going to send the latter rain. He will water the thirsty ground of our souls. And with his love in us, our lives will be able to produce the image of Christ. So what keeps 
God from raining down his spirit upon us. If this is what we need, if this is what we need to be ready for the harvest, if this is what we need in order to to experience the life of Christ in us, this latter rain, what keeps God from sending it to us? Is he busy? Is he unable to send the Holy Spirit to us right now and he's trying to muster this, this desire to do that for us? What's keeping him from doing this? Ellen White, one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, offers this insight. I think it's profound. She says, There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord. This, she's talking about the Holy Spirit. Not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us. God is willing. He is able. He's ready. He, hasn't, he doesn't give us his spirit because he's not willing. We don't receive the blessing of the Lord because we are unprepared to receive it. Too much stuff in there. We're not willing to sit in that place of emptiness, that place of longing, that place of need that feels so uncomfortable. But it's that very thing who we naturally are. It's that very thing, recognizing the truth that we are dry, thirsty ground, and all we can do is go to God and give him that. And reach up to him in our soul thirst and wait upon him to send the rain. We're not ready to receive the Spirit of God unless we are reaching up to him. And so the Bible tells us here, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to know him. The message of Hosea is just as relevant today, more relevant today, I would argue, than it even was back then. Let us press on to know the Lord. May we turn from temporary things that we try to cram into our life to to give us some kind of sense of satisfaction, even though it's temporary. Let us turn from those temporary things. They don't give us spiritual life. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let us seek him earnestly in prayer. This is how it happens. This is how we can wait for the Spirit of God. In that place of discomfort, it's through prayer. We're sustained through prayer. Through prayer, we're prepared to receive the fullness of God. Through prayer, it keeps the other stuff out of our life. Let's pray on an individual basis. Get on your knees and pray for the Spirit of God. But let's also pray together. Find a friend if you don't have someone to pray for. Join us on Tuesday night, every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Here in this church on Zoom, we gather together for prayer and we're praying for the Holy Spirit. We're praying as these farmers back in the Old Testament would pray for the latter rain, knowing that there would be no harvest without that. We are desperate for the Holy Spirit. And as we pray for God's Spirit, it changes us. Like the corn in southern Ohio changed its posture when it got thirsty. May we change our posture as we recognize our soul's thirst. May we reach up to God in prayer. He is waiting to revive us. He's waiting for us to turn to him so that we can be filled. Let us pray to him so that when he sends the rain of his spirit, our thirsty souls will be able to receive it and we will be filled with the life of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for the enduring nature of your love how you're willing to wait out our fascination with idols. Lord, we sense you calling us 
to press on to know you. Forgive us, God, for having this knowledge of you but not acting upon it. I pray, God, that we would accept this uncomfortable emptiness in our lives. This is all we have. And we thank you that we can present that to you. We can reach up to you with empty hands because you're a God who sends the rain. Lord, may we receive it. May we wait upon you. May we be prepared by dedicating ourselves to prayer and looking to you. And we thank you, God. We thank you for the promise that you will do what you say. You will send the rain. You will prepare the harvest. And one day soon, we will be with you for eternity. May that day come soon, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.